0: Please be seated. Bonjour. Good morning, and welcome to the Supreme Court of Canada, which is sitting in Quebec City this week for the first time in its history. Good morning.
1: And thank you for attending the Supreme Court of Canada, sitting in Quebec City. We are very happy to be here today. It
0: is only the second time that the Court has traveled outside of Ottawa to hear cases elsewhere in the country. The first time was in Winnipeg in 2019. The judges and the Court staff are delighted to be in North America's most beautiful heritage city we are all touched by the warm hospitality your community has shown us. Hearing Cases Outside of Ottawa is, initiative, is an initiative that is inspired by access to justice and open court principles. This visit is an opportunity for you to learn about our work, our activities, and our role in Canadian democracy.
1: This week, all nine of us, have traveled across the region to speak with high school students. I have to tell you, they ask us some very good questions. The court will meet many more people throughout the week, ending on Friday, with law students at l'Université de Laval.
0: I hope to see some of you this afternoon at the Musée de la Civilisation, where the Court will be hosting a free public event and will be answering the public's questions. The Supreme Court is Canada's final final Court of Appeal. It decides some of the country's most important and complex disputes. By doing so, it clarifies the law for all Canadians, thereby ensuring that it is applied fairly across the country. That is why it is important that people understand how and why the Court renders its decisions. After all, it is difficult to trust in something that you don't understand. This is why the Supreme Court creates these opportunities so that people can see what it does and how it does it. And as you are able to do today, You have the right to attend hearings across Quebec. In fact, all Canadian courts are open, impartial, and independent. This contributes, in a way, to making our country a democratic superpower. I would like to say one last thing today before we begin our hearing. On behalf of myself and my colleagues, I would like to express our sincerest thanks to the Quebec Chief Justice, Ms. Manon-Sabard, as well as the Senior Associate Chief Justice, Catherine LaRosa, as well as the Chief Justice of the Quebec Court, Lucie Rondeau. It is their enthusiastic and invaluable support that has made these hearings and our activities this week possible.
1: mark that the name of today's case has been altered. To reflect that Canada as a new head of state. Where this case was initially filed as Her Majesty the Queen versus Pascal Beau, it is now His Majesty the King. In practice, that is the only change that will occur at the court due to the death of
0: Queen Elizabeth II. On a more personal note, The death of Queen Elizabeth II has led me to reflect on the six months during which I acted as Administrator of Canada in 2021 when the previous Governor-General stepped down. This experience brought home to me how healthy and robust our democratic institutions are. I hope that your presence at the hearing today will make you feel exactly the same and now, let us begin. In the case, His Majesty the King versus Pascal Brault. For the Appellant, His Majesty the King, Nicolas Abram, Gabriel Belvin, and Isabelle Cardinal. For the intervener, the Attorney General of Canada, Sean Gaudet, and Julie Laborde.
1: For the Intervenor, Attorney General of Ontario, James V. Palangio
0: and Nicolas de Montigny. Pour Pascal For the Respondent, Pascal Brault, Félix-Antoine T. Doyon, and Camille Pelletier-Campfinite. For the Intervenor, the Association Québécoise des Avocats et Avocates de la Défense, Maria, Marie-Pierre Boulet, for the intervener, the association l'Association des avocats de la défense de Montréal, Labalongue, uh, jean philippe Marcoux, and Vincent R. Paquette. Mr. Abram, please go ahead. Chief Justice, justices, good morning. Before beginning, I would like to uh, take. Uh, uh, this uh, advantage, uh, this opportunity, for thanking you on behalf of uh, my uh, staff for visiting Quebec City for the past thirty mi- uh, years. There has been an agreement among appeal courts in Canada that the immediacy uh, criterion in two fifty four two now three twenty twenty seven of the Criminal Court must be interpreted with flexibility. Most of these courts. Have also found, based on different cases that were submitted to them, that a delay to deliver an ASD was tolerable or acceptable, as long as it did not go go beyond the time necessary or required to consult an attorney. In uh, the past 35 years, there have been no major problems uh, pointed out by these appeal courts. The cases were uh, settled according to the circumstances of each case and in the past 35 years, everyone has agreed that the possession of an approved screening device was not a condition of a validity of a police order to comply with uh, an order to provide a breath sample. So we do not plan to reinvent the wheel. We are asking you to apply the law as it exists and as it has been applied for many years and for the appellant. The most restric- the restrictive approach that the Court of Appeal of Quebec has chosen to take lacks subtlety with regard to drinking and driving and nothing justified, in our opinion, the fact that it deviated from case law. And today I'm going to look at three themes to support this. First of all, the heart of the uh, a case at VAR is that there is a certain delay that is tolerated, tolerated and that includes uh, the possibility of having a ASD delivered when required. Secondly, the offense of the refusal to comply with an order to provide a a breath sample does not require the presence of an ASD on site. And lastly, uh, the facts of the case, under these facts, I'm going to tell you I'm going to prove to you that uh, the trial judge was justified now supporting your second argument will you be addressing any existent existential matters that uh, Judge Doyon raised in paragraph 42 when he says he could not uh, uh, commit an offense because he was unable to comply with a device that was not there yes I will be addressing that in fact, that is going to come with my arguments about the validity of the police order and obviously uh, the window of immediacy. I'm not certain it's a question that's a validity of the police order. I'm asking how can the, uh, Mr. Bro do what he is unable to do? Yes, I understand uh, the meaning of your question. It is not the purpose or uh, the uh, the actual uh, offence of not complying with the order. What we are reproaching, Mr. Brou here, is, or, or rather, we were not talking about uh, too long of a delay before the ASD was provided. It was his refusal to comply and then having waited, in order to either refuse or accept. We are saying that there is a legal order issued by a police officer who suspected that uh, Mr. Bro had consumed alcohol and uh, uh, the police officer thought that he would receive an ADS within 10 minutes. Now, uh, the law tolerated or tolerates a certain delay. Mr. Abram, underlying this argument, is the fundamental right of right to counsel. And in certain circumstances, like this one, that right was suspended. And therefore, that is very fundamental. So, what do we do with such a fundamental right? What is the delay? Is it approximate? Because to come back to the question of my colleague, Justice Brown, how can we consider that an order is valid if it cannot be executed? If it cannot be followed through with, here the peace officer asked the individual for a breath sample, but regardless of his response, he was unable to uh, execute the order. Yes, but in our opinion, he would have been able to execute it within a delay that was uh, less than the time required to consult counsel. Now, that being said, The offence, the offence of the refusal to comply does not concern uh, whether it was possible to do so or not. And uh, that's where we agree with DeGiorgio, where there is a clear verbal expression that the individual refuses to comply. Mr. Bro in these circumstances, he did not know that the ADS was not there, or rather the ASD was not there. What he said was, I was not driving the uh, ATV, it was not me, and therefore he, had, he did lie to the police officers. For us, w- with regard to the offence of the refusal to comply, we consider that all the elements of the offence were present, and in that regard, I'm going to quote uh, the new legislative regime put in place, in uh, sections uh, 32027, 20, paragraph one and two. And this is important because the legislator created these offenses. The legislator has created a new offense, which is random testing. And in that case, a police officer who, ha- who has an ASD does not have to have any reasonable suspicion if he has such a device with him. And therefore, he can require a breath sample. Now, with regard to the criterion of a police officer, is when he has a reasonable suspicion that the uh, person has been consuming alcohol, the legislators did not require that the police officer has NASD. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but on that point, Mr. Abrin, in our interpretation of uh, Section 254 of the Criminal Code, how can our court base itself on this new regime of uh, drinking and driving? Uh, given uh, Section 4 of the uh, federal interpretation law, how should we interpret it? Answer, in our opinion, that is a, uh, a reference or an indication that the legislator observed decisions on the part of Court of Appeals where uh, periods of 4 to 14 minutes were allowed to receive an ASD. For example, Higgins, Ritchie, Torsney, those are just a few of the cases where that was allowed. And the legislator, the legislator rather, uh, well, we don't say that this regime is decisive, but in the interpretation that you will have to make, well, the choice between the vision of the uh, uh, Quebec uh, Court of Appeal, and the choice of other courts, is an indicator that the legislator has obse- observed these cases and taken note. Yes, uh, but the presence of the word uh, immediately or forthwith, uh, Judge Dwyer underscored this, that is an indication, the word remains there and the legislator is supposed to understand the case law of this course court. I'm going to bring you back to the substance of your first uh, argument, by asking you, and I'm saying this uh, with all due respect, I'm wondering if your presentation of the Quebec Court of Appeal, the way you perceive it, it lacks subtlety. Obviously, Judge Doyon, like uh, Justice Lemire said in Grant, and like uh, Justice Fish said in Woods, that we uh, grant the normal definition of immediately, forthwith, but Judge uh, Doyon does not say exactly uh, that the device must be in the vehicle. He says immediately, except for a different a certain circumstances. And he refers to Burnshaw and Woods. Uh, for example, it's impossible to... Uh, do the test uh, before the device warms up, for example, that takes some time. So that's immediately, that takes it takes the time it takes for the device to warm up. Uh, but, for example, if the driver has alcohol in his mouth, so obviously the, the test results won't be reliable. But Judge Doyon recognizes that, and he pointed out that the case law provides for that. So here's my question for you. Were there unusual circumstances in this case? Answer. I'm going to uh, give you a two-pronged answer, Justice. I'm going to uh, look at the cases that you have referred to, and then I'm going to talk about the concept of unusual circumstances that Judge Waddoyon referred to. So first of all, in Birdshaw, in our opinion, that is a case of application of the facts of the case. Uh, The uh, court did not limit uh, the application of the ASD, and I would go further. In Burnshaw, in paragraph 70, uh, the court does not say uh, the police officer can wait. He says must wait, and therefore, that is a very specific Um, part of Burnshaw. Now, in Grant, we're talking about 30 minutes, and that is, we consider, quite honestly, that 30 minutes is too long, and that was the perception as well. And it uh, did not respect the uh, uh, immediacy or the forthwith criterion. But in Grant, this Court said that we're not talking about the number of minutes required uh, to receive an ASD. It, we are simply saying, you were simply saying, that 30 minutes is too long. Now, uh, Mr. Woods was on the roadside, was brought to the police station, and uh, blew into the device one hour and 20 minutes after he was intercepted. So and neither does that comply with the criterion of immediacy, and we completely agree with that. Now, that being said, Burnshaw, Grant, and Woods are examples of uh, certain delays that are acceptable, that have to do with the facts, the specific facts of the case. But that doesn't mean that an ASD, having an ASD on site to meet the purposes of the legislative regime, that doesn't mean that that's an unusual circumstance. And that is where we do not agree with the ruling of uh, Judge doyon So, you are saying that there is no ASD in the vehicle, and you're saying that that's an unusual circumstance? I'm saying, not saying every time, but it could be. For example, first of all, there was no evidence in this case that this had to do with administrative convenience. That being said, the patrol vehicles, patrol vehicles in most cases are equipped with an ASD. Most of them are. Further, there are enough in the various regions for that the ASDs can be delivered very quickly when needed in less than 10 minutes. So it's quite unusual that a patrol vehicle does not have an ASD in it. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that in every single case that is justified. And we see a problem here in that, uh, under the Court of Appeal, there is no distinction between patroller and peace officer. And when we say, we're talking about an approved screening device, and when it is said that that it has to be part of a police officer's toolkits and they should all have one, well, there are many situations where the policeman won't have one they might be on a motorcycle during uh, major events or for example when people uh, leave festivals some people yes but uh, Mr. mr Uh, in cities, it is easier for police officers to have an ASD to receive one quickly, but what about in regions? Don't you find that uh, uh, the state should ensure that the police officers do have these ASDs? Uh, For example, if you're on a rural road uh, where there are no houses, shouldn't it be be important that the police officers have that ASD at their uh, disposal? I agree with you, Justice Cote, and in fact, they have no choice because if they have to drive an hour to go to a site or an event, then they will not uh, respect the criterion of immediacy that uh, has to do with, con- with the right to counsel. Inaudible for the interpreter. The, judges, the Justice's mic is not on. Under 254 to B, is your position is that such a delay uh, is it constitutes an unusual circumstance? Or do you claim uh, that uh, that uh, concept should be set aside? Answer, no, I don't think that that concept of unusual circumstances should be set aside. We do not believe that it should be a systematic practice. We think that the uh, state should have ASDs, uh, should provide ASDs as much as possible, but a certain flexibility is required in the interpretation of the provision to Uh, ensure that an ASD can be delivered where needed within the delay that the right to cancel is suspended absolutely but our main concern is a a situation where a police officer in because of circumstances beyond his control does not have a device now for example in this case there were the police officer said that there were none available at the police uh, station because the night shifts had taken all the ASDs that were available but in these circumstances that it was not on a whim, it was not on purpose that uh, uh, the the police officer did not have a device and we must remember that when these uh, police officers have to intercept on site they are not doing so as road patrollers who are conducting a drinking and driving operation these are the closest police officers to someone who has been reported by the public to say that there is we believe that there is a man who has been driving while under the influence and he is aggressive and so the first patrol vehicle that was available that is available must go to that site and if there is no asd and it takes a, a certain flexibility to uh, receive that uh, a device. Well, then uh, uh, the, w- we need to respect the rights to cancel, but with the delay in question. Now, to adopt that flexibility, uh, don't we need to have an answer to what uh, Judge Doyon said at uh, paragraph 61 on the Giorgio logic? Well,
2: in our, it's our position that paragraph 71, in the Crown's view, that's problematic. No, but because there was some confusion around that point, around the offence of refusing and the actual failure to collect a sample in our view, under the circumstances that Justice Duayon was uh, addressing in paragraph, uh, in, in order to force drivers to provide a breath sample when they're stopped by the police, by creating the offense of refusing to provide, Parliament never was talking about a a delay in collecting the sample and that's where we draw a distinction if mr bro did what the law required of him if he had agreed to provide a sample and then the delay was too long uh, he would have to be acquitted that would give him a defense at trial but if he refuses immediately it's our submission that his criminal responsibility is triggered then and there. He had the intent to refuse. He committed the act of refusing. So the fact that the ASD would only arrive later, and in our view it was in within 10 minutes, uh, so that's acceptable mathematically, but the police officer could validly issue the order And at that point in time, he believed there would be a screening within a reasonable time, according to the courts. So that respects the the immediacy window, if you will, inaudible for the interpreter. So the person, when the individual has already refused, but then the device arrives, then what do you do? Well like Giorgio, we see no problem under the criminal law, because an individual who refused has already committed the offence. And the police officer in this case thought that the device was going to arrive within the window of immediacy, and the police officer issued a valid order at that point, believing that the device would arrive within a reasonable time. And the individual attempted to escape Uh, criminal responsibility by refusing to provide. Uh, And in a book entitled Impaired Driving in Canada, it says that a person who refuses waives their right to prove that their blood alcohol level was below the legal limit and they have committed an offence. So that's how we see things. The purpose of this provision and we have to go right back to Parliament's intent in legislating. This is all, underlying all this, is the suspension of the right to counsel in order to fight a serious problem in society, which is drunk driving. Yes, but, Mr. Abron, to follow up on the previous question, how do you answer the objections of Justice Doyon? He said that your interpretation of De Giorgio is inconsistent with the legislation itself. In paragraph 57, he explained that the the wording of the order to provide forthwith to enable a proper analysis of your breath to be made, that wording was, simply could not be complied with. It's, it w- it's impossible. So this brings us back to the earlier questions. How do you answer Justice Wayon? Well, it all depends how you interpret the term immediately or forthwith. According to us, Justice Doyon saw this as uh, it had to be instantaneous. So immediately, when the order is issued, the person has to be able to blow. There can be no delay whatsoever. But it's our position that there is uh, greater variation, uh, greater flexibility, and the acceptable delay for the operation or the operability of the device or obtaining a reliable result, well, the police officer can still issue the order even though there's going to be some delay. Uh, The police officer can say you're still going to have to wait a few minutes before the device is ready. Yes, but we're talking about the validity of an order and if I understand your position correctly, you're saying an order under sub 2 of 2.54 is presumed to be valid. But any delay could undermine that validity. So that means, in your, it's your position, that the elements of the offence can be satisfied at the moment of the refusal, even if the screening device might be far away from the scene. So, if the individual changes their mind and if they decide to comply once the ASD shows up, have they committed the crime? It's a question, In, I think it's an important question, but the question is, How can you comply with an order that is impossible to comply with? Well, in our opinion, it will depend on the circumstances. In the first example you gave, we don't feel that a person who has previously refused to comply with a presumably valid order they don't have the opportunity to change their mind. They've already committed the offence. So the order is deemed or assumed to be valid at the time it's issued. So let's take it a bit further and come back to uh, paragraph 71 of Justice Doyon's reasons. So, an individual who is legally ordered to provide a breath sample, if they asked, do you have the device? Are they allowed to ask that? Well, probably. But if they don't ask, do you even have the device, and they refuse, well, then the offence has been committed. Why would the eventual arrival of the device have any bearing? Well, if he doesn't tell the person, look, we're giving you this order, but we're going to have to wait for the device to show up, we think it'll be here in 10 or 15 minutes. So the person could ask, do you, ha- do you even have the device? But if they don't ask that, why wouldn't the police officer volunteer that information? Well, perhaps in, in terms of best pro- practices, I wouldn't, I'd have nothing against that. Uh, the police officer could say that. The device isn't here yet, it'll be here in a few minutes. And the driver, but in this case, the driver said, I wasn't even driving. Uh, Well, uh, that's not relevant to our interpretation of the impugned provision, is it? No. But the suspect or the person who's been stopped by the police, whether or not they're aware that there will be some delay before they can blow, before the device arrives, whether that's relevant or not, it it may be, but I don't think it has any influence on the uh, requirement to have the device uh, present. And the police officer doesn't bear on whether there's, there may be some delay in the arrival of the device. So yes, This court could decide that uh, police officers should inform individuals that there may be some delay, but that doesn't affect the the outcome of this case. Isn't there an issue of transparency uh, when a police officer orders an individual to provide a sample without disclosing at the outset that there is no device present, yet. Uh, Is there a problem of transparency? Maybe. So if the police officer does not disclose the factual circumstances that would normally enable a person to have a reasonable excuse Well, it's our position that that is not part of the offence. The police officer's obligation uh, under the law does not include uh, this type of disclosure. The offence of refusal does not contemplate any information about whether or not there's a device available. An individual does not have to be ordered, there's no, there's nothing in the case law that says that uh, there has to be a a device on hand. Yes, but if the police officer knows full well that the device will only arrive later, but still asks the, expects the individual to trigger their criminal responsibility without telling them that there's going to be a delay, is that not a problem? Well, it's a problem if the police officer gives an order knowing that the delay will be too long. For example, in George, the Court of Appeal, well, how will the police officer know? Well, in this case, the police officer knew that the device was to arrive within 10 minutes. So, in George, the Ontario Court of Appeal declared the, uh, held that the delay was unreasonable. The police officer knew that there would be a delay and did nothing to give the individual their right to counsel. So uh, so we should legislate a delay of 20 minutes? No, no. That's why it's tied to suspension of the right to counsel. And this court has, on a number of occasions, occasions in Cote, for example, so it all depends on the police officer's sincere belief that a device will arrive? Well, it's my impression, and we can see this in Piazza, the Quebec Court of Appeal decision. In that case, there might be some suspicion that the police might try to get people to refuse under some uh, some circumstances. But actually, Refusals are not that common. Once an order is given, there the police officer has to have grounds to believe that the person has been drinking. If those conditions are not met, the police officer cannot even issue the order, because if the the individual agrees, uh, so there is no specified time period, that's why we're here. Yes, you're right. Perhaps that's a better way of summing up my thinking on this. There is no set time period, and that's why the Crown has not just taken petit and relied on that and said that 15 minutes is the delay. That was the delay, the appropriate delay in that case. What we're saying is the delay depends on the circumstances of the case, and That all, it, it, that's only relevant when the person agrees to provide a sample. And then the police, they have to investigate. There can be, the circumstances can vary greatly. There could be all kinds of things, a roadside accident, a collision, identifying the people involved and so on. But the case law has been developed on the basis of, yes? Yes, but can the circumstances include administrative needs, budgetary constraints, and so on? I'm just asking this question because, as the Chief Justice already pointed out, the constitutionality of the provision is linked to the interpretation of the term immediately. Yes, and we're not questioning that. What we are saying is, First of all, in this case, there is no evidence of administrative convenience. No, not in this case, but we have to explain the legislation. We have to apply, our decision has to apply to all situations. Yes, absolutely, but to our knowledge, there should be a strong strong evidence that the Patrol, patrollers should be supplied with these devices, those, uh, the, the highway patrol, but there are other situations, and that's why some flexibility is needed. And to wrap up my answer to this question, I would say that the offence of refusing to provide a sample has no connection, in our opinion, with the subsequent delay. If the police officer issues an order that they believe to be valid at the time of issuing it, then that's how they operate, that's that's how things work. Yes, but in paragraph 51 of Justice Doyon's decision, he said it appears illog- illogical in his view to uh, link the validity of the order with the delay required for the device to arrive. So, because there's uncertainty if it all depends on whether the device, the delay. So when an order is issued, believing that the device will arrive in some 10 minutes, you're saying that's a valid order. But what if the device doesn't arrive in the expected amount of time, in the anticipated time as opposed to the statutory amount of time? Is that order, then, not illogic, illogical? And that's what Justice Zoyon says in paragraph 51 of his decision. Well, that uh, illogical aspect, in our case, is, is not uh, the problem. When The, the offence is refusing to provide a sample. In the context of the legislation of drunk driving, a person is required to immediately comply with the order, but if the person immediately refuses to comply, if they explicitly refuse and then they change their mind and they agree and then the delay is too long that's a different that's a different kettle of fish, but the police officer could simply uh, drop the proceedings if the person changes their mind and decides to comply so The point I'd like to make, if I could just ask a question, perhaps we're looking for a principle that applies to all circumstances, because everyone's in favour of a broad interpretation. And you accepted uh, the terms of uh, Justice Sipinka, But perhaps the principle that we're searching here is that this device is that the circumstances should be necessary circumstances for the performance of a a reliable test. That should be the principle, perhaps, that could apply to in uh, exceptional circumstances, so not any old circumstance will do, it has to be an exceptional circumstance, for example, the time necessary for the device to operate properly. Perhaps that could be the principle that applies here. Well, this, I hope this doesn't seem too far-fetched, but it's hard to do a reliable test if you don't have the device on hand or if the device is defective. And we agree on that. But what we're saying is that sometimes not having the device in interpreting the immediacy requirement, sometimes it is allowable to await delivery of the device. Because, of course, normally we immediately think of Burnshaw or Anderson, Anderson, which I believe is a Saskatchewan decision, that, which talks about allowing the device to warm up for 15 minutes. That's true, or if there's a defective device. These are the things we contemplate, but are you actually ar- arguing that administrative convenience would be a justification for a delay? No, I'm not arguing that administrative convenience is a justification. But in the reality of police work, and there there are circumstances where police officers simply don't have an ASD with them. And in Thompson, it's an Ontario Court of Appeal decision, there was a a reference to the Bangladesh decision, and the court held that some flexibility had to be allowed. For example, at Christmas, when there are so many roadblocks, Other, not all patrol cars can be equipped with a device.
0: Yes, but uh, we're getting away away from uh, what my colleague Justice uh, Jamal said earlier. So you're talking about a defective uh, device or exceptional circumstances. That's one thing. But uh, when uh, we're talking about a device that can't be used because it's simply not there, uh, well, or, you know, there's not one in every vehicle, then we're talking about uh, convenience and that has nothing to do with the use of the device as provided for under the law. Answer. I believe that uh, the criterion of uh, a proper use or a proper breath sample, and I think we used the term immediately, but we would argue that that is why uh, the court rejected the approach of Justice Cory in Burnshaw. Because uh, the purpose is to make sure that people who provide a sample using a defective device be brought to the police station Uh, for the breathalyzer test, which is more invasive and more lengthy. So uh, the use of a a proper breath sample uh, is not restrictive. When we look at the Thompson case, and well, we see that everything is linked to the suspension of right to counsel. Justice Kazaru the principle that uh, Justice Jamal referred to, and this brings us back to 10B, what Justice Arbor said, does that emphasize this principle when she says, and this is quoted uh, by Justice Fish in Woods, and it's quoted by uh, Justice uh, Judge uh, Doyon in R in the case at Bar. When Justice Arbor says otherwise, if the police officer is not able to order the accused to, to provide a breath sample before that individual has a, a realistic opportunity to consult a counsel, the order of the police officer is not made under the former provisions. And therefore, there is no criminal responsibility. But what is the relevance for the duration of, uh, for this duration, before the individual has uh, uh, the right to counsel? Well, we would argue that this relevance is linked to to Thompson, because the problem of the delay here is that uh, uh, the person has been detained and the person has no right to counsel. And so in Thompson, we, it was a brief delay was referred to, and if I remember correctly, uh, Justice Ledain talked about uh, the CO case, where there was uh, 10 minutes, I believe, and uh, that was said as soon as, practi- as, practicable, as practicable, and uh, Justice Ledain said as soon as possible. And what we are saying is that it doesn't take zero minutes to consult uh, counsel. And it is not about communicating with council. It is about consulting with council. And in that respect, I would like to read you uh, an, an excerpt, an excerpt from Torsny, which uh, has to do with this delay. And it's in paragraph 13, in tab 11 of my condensed book. I'm going to read in English. Conclusion. We consider it important to draw a distinction between a detainee having a chance to call counsel and a detainee being able to consult with counsel. The trial judge was under the impression that in deciding whether in the circumstances there was a realistic opportunity for the airplane to consult counsel.
3: All that was required was that to be able to make a call, uh, to be
0: able to call counsel in a few minutes it took for the ESD to arrive and be ready for use. With respect, we think that trial judge erred in that regard. The question he should have asked is whether, in all the circumstances, there was a realistic opportunity for the appellant in the space of, of six or seven
3: minutes to contact, seek, and receive advice from counsel. Had the trial judge framed the issue
0: that way, he would have, in our view, decided that it can be issued differently. It is linked to the right to counsel, but if uh, the ASD steps are done properly, uh, then, then that's fine. And in a case of a clear refusal, uh, like in the case at bar, where it is an offence uh, that should be at the forefront of the uh, court's decision, in the case of a clear refusal to comply, if there is a delay and the refuel- refusal is immediate, uh, that the person r- responded immediately to a presumably valued valid order, no, then then, in the circumstances, uh, that should be taken into account. And so uh, the right to counsel is not violated when you're talking about 4, 6, 12 minutes. All delays that have been accepted to date were of 14 minutes or less. The rest of the delays beyond 15 minutes were uh, refused by the Court of Appeal, Mr. Abra. How are you asking us to imp- interpret immediately? Meaning, as soon as possible, or as soon as reasonably possible? No. What I am saying is that immediately, and uh, I'm talk- I'd am uh, i refer you to uh, paragraph forty-five to f- paragraphs forty-five to forty-nine of Kwanzaa, which is in my. Uh, condensed as well with which we agree and that is at tab 11 or rather 8 the Court of Appeal of Ontario says that we must examine five elements to determine whether the delay is reasonable first of all it has to be done uh, contextually second the demand must be made by the police officer promptly once he or she forms the reasonable suspicion that the driver has alcohol in his or her body. This uh, comes out a prompt demand and an immediate response, uh, even though in unusual circumstances a more flexible interpretation and a longer delay may, may be accepted. Fourth, this includes a reasonably necessary delay where breath tests cannot immediately be performed, because an ASD is not immediately available, for example. And fifth, one of the circumstances for consideration is whether the police could realistically fulfill their obligation to implement the detainee's 10b rights before requiring the sample. And if we talk about the circumstances of each case, I think that we have to highlight that Canadian courts in the past 30 years who have talked about this uh, immediacy window instead of a criterion of instantaneity, have solved the issues that were raised. For example, in Megahi, it was a a delay of four minutes. The Court of Appeal had uh, allowed longer delays before and had determined that they are reasonable. But in this matter, the police officer had an available device, but he didn't take it with him. So the four minutes was unreasonable, and uh, the courts are able to determine that. And in some cases, delays of zero minutes uh, will uh, be applicable. But, and in our brief, we gave you an example with regard to, to the Anderson case. The 16 minutes to warm up the device goes hand in hand with the reliability of the results, so that was permissible, but we would argue that asking for a device to be brought a worm on a device that's already warmed up in a shorter delay would not be reasonable Justice cassserer, but it's not the quantity it's the quality here and I think that you're referring us to Kwanzaa, but that uh, contradicts something that you said earlier when we asked you the question with regard to administrative convenience. And you said, no, 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 that's not what I'm arguing. But look at the uh, second uh, uh, paragraph. A reasonably necessary delay where breath tests cannot immediately
1: be performed because an ASD is not immediately available.
0: Do you agree with that? Because it uh, seems to me that it contradicts what you said earlier uh, in response to Justice Karakatsanis' question. What do you think? If it contradicts what I said earlier, then that was not my intention. Yes, but if it's uh, because of administrative convenience, uh, it will uh, imply a delay that uh, someone may consider reasonable. But that's administrative convenience. So that you accept that then? Well, in fact, I am arguing that not having an approved screening device does not necessarily have to do with administrative convenience. And that is the point that I'm hoping to... Uh, persuade you of, that some flexibility is required to ensure the reliability of the results when using this device. And also, I understand the issues with the with the, taking the uh, case-by-case approach for Judge uh, Doyon, but the courts are used to that. There are so many different circumstances uh, that uh, the courts must rule on, and that happens daily. Yes, but once when the person has been asked to blow, well, he doesn't know whether it's legal or not. Yes, well, the problem is that the individual in uh, the case at bar must presume that the order is valid and he must know that if he refuses to provide a sample, then his responsibility, his criminal responsibility will be engaged and that is where we agree with the Giorgio case uh, from the Ontario Court of Appeal and that is why we see no real issue with paragraph 61 of Judge Doyon in his ruling because someone who agrees to cooperate and to uh, comply with the legislative regime in place and then if the government or the state doesn't uh, honour its promise, well then the government has will have failed at its task but if the person immediately refuses a valid order to comply or uh, or, or, but there is yes, but immediately in the provision that we're talking about is, is in terms of supplying the sample, we always say that uh, no one can do the impossible. So if you, if the police officer says uh, supply this sample immediately, well, it's impossible in this case because the device is not present. Yes. But in that regard, everything has to do with uh, the interpretation of uh, the term immediately or forthwith, and the flexibility in its interpretation. I'm coming back to Burnshaw again. Uh, The police officer said you must uh, immediately provide a sample, but then he says you have to wait 15 minutes, so it's impossible. It's exactly the same situation here. If the suspect has alcohol in his mouth, for for example, and the police officer says you must immediately provide a breath sample, oh, you have alcohol in your mouth, well, you're going to have to provide a sample in 15 minutes. Well, there is no difference because there is an acceptable delay. There's no difference with having an approved screening device. Yes, but in the second case, it's because of the government, it's because of the state. That's an important distinction. Yes, I understand uh, that the Court of Appeal interpreted this as an administrative convenience and therefore uh, falling to the state. But that being said, the legislator does not require the ASD to be present. Yes, but the legislator did use the word immediately. And they used, the the legislator used the word immediately, but also uh, talked about a suitable or a proper analysis. As you know, I'm coming back to this provision and so I don't understand your arguments that that is a restrictive phrase because isn't... a necessary element of this provision not just the refusal to comply not just the delay but if the approved screening device is not on site when the order is issued and there is no way of uh, a conduct of taking the breath sample then isn't that isn't it impossible for the individual to comply with the order what uh, is your definition then of uh, suitable analysis? Well, we would argue that based on Burnshaw, we agree uh, that uh, this delay is justified. And uh, what we are arguing then is that a suitable analysis justifies justified the delay in Burnshaw a proper analysis but that doesn't make delays in other cases yes but here it was impossible for the individual to comply there was no device ever on the scene yes correct but if we do consider that it's instantly and that there are zero minutes allowed then the individual couldn't have Uh, complied that's true but we would argue that there are the courts that have not ruled in that way they have allowed for this uh, window of immediacy and they have allowed for the delivery of a device because of uh, the issue of the legislative regime that has to do with uh, driving under the influence and uh, I would refer to Thompson on this I do not have many more arguments to make, but I would like to say something. It is not a legislative requirement under this new regime. If we look at the Court of Appeal case, and that would render 327 obsolete, if we look at the Court of Appeal decision, because because if the police officer must have an ADS An ASD, every time he has a suspicion, then why should he have suspicions if he needs to, uh, why would he have suspicions, even have suspicions if he has to ask for an ASD? The Defense Lawyers Association, among others, will say that the uh, threshold of tolerance is very high. There is no need to modify the principles established by uh, the courts since uh, the CO case. There has not been, uh, this has not increased the volume of uh, cases within the court. We don't need uh, an electroshock. as was necessary under Jordan because of the delays. This system works and if you will accept that uh, this that there is an acceptable delay then things will fall into place because if the delay was uh, deemed acceptable by the courts then that means an an ASD will always be very close to the site even if the police officer doesn't have one on site because uh, the delays will also be, uh, will always be judged outside of the ambit of 327. So, uh, many of us have questions. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, I have a question as well, but Justice Casara, please go ahead. Mine is very brief. Now the court is not there yet, but uh, if uh, the court doesn't agree with you on Di Giorgio, if we don't accept your position on Di Giorgio, in other words, that in the absence of the device, it is not the refusal that uh, decides the matter, then what does that mean for Mr. Poe? Answer. Well, if you do not agree with me on Giorgio, so on the refusal to comply, but if you accept that a certain delay is possible, looking back to case law, for example, Kwanzaa, and my arguments today, then in the circumstances for mr bro we would consider uh, that uh, they then canceled the request for the screening device uh, that that would be the point of reference for mr bro and uh, in our opinion because of that and because of the events that subsequently happened that i mentioned there should be a correlation because if a delay was possible, then the events as a whole, in our opinion, should be reasonable as because of the delay. On the facts of this
2: case, uh, What is the offense, the first refusal, the second refusal, or the third? Because there were three refusals. Well the first. Well, why? Because uh, the third refusal was not within the appropriate delay. No, but the first refusal was much earlier. No, uh, it says uh, 141. So, if it's so clear, if your position is so clear that as soon as there's a refusal, the person's guilty, well, why then did the police officer keep asking three times and triggering three refusals? Is he accused three times? Is are there three counts here of refusal? Well, it's our position. The reason for the three refusals is that the police officer was giving the individual a chance to change his mind, a chance to backtrack. There were two witnesses that saw him on the ATV, and so the individual was not necessarily making the best choice here. And the police officer was simply giving him a chance to change his mind. And if there are no other questions, well, I have one. Would you agree that perhaps there's another way of looking at this? Would you agree that it's a fundamental principle of Canadian criminal law that a person should know uh, that it's a criminal act before they commit it? You have to know that it's criminal before you actually commit it? Uh, Yes. Because in this case, it's impossible to know uh, because it it takes time for the device to arrive. So it was impossible to know when the order was made by the police officer. uh, Five minutes is a reasonable delay, in your opinion. But if it's 30 minutes, it's the order's invalid, according to the teachings of this Court. So it's impossible to know at the time the demand is made, uh, well, I'm going to answer, but I don't think you'll like my answer, the order is presumed to be valid, assumed to be valid, and the individual cannot question the police officer's order. That's not how the system works. When a police officer orders someone to do something, you're not allowed to ignore it, you have to comply. And afterward, if the order is held to be invalid, then the individual will challenge it. Okay, my time's up. Yes, your time's up. Thank you very much. Mr. Godet. Chief Justice, Justices, good morning. The Attorney General of Canada agrees with the submissions of the Attorney General of Quebec when it comes to the need for flexibility in interpreting the immediacy criterion under the Criminal Code. The analysis of this criterion must take into account all of the circumstances of each individual case, and especially when assessing whether the immediacy criterion is met when it's necessary to await the delivery of an ASD for a brief period. The interpretation put forward by the Court of Appeal runs counter to, the, to Parliament's purpose in deterring drivers from refusing to provide breath samples at the roadside. And we have three alternative arguments to make. First of all, in 2018, Parliament made changes, significant changes, to the criminal code when it comes to detecting drunk driving whether it's uh, alcohol or drug-impaired driving. And a strict interpretation of immediacy, uh, as uh, put forward by the Court of Appeal, would certainly uh, frustrate that parliamentary purpose. Because this decision applies equally to alcohol screening devices and drug, approved drug screening devices. And the purpose of the new provision introduced, introduced by the new legislation, the purpose is to deal with the serious issue of impaired driving. And one of the nine considerations justifying this new legislation in the preamble was to deter people from thinking that they could avoid providing a breath sample or a a drug sample. The legislation sets out principles, and, and this is part of the Criminal Code, and that's part of the interpretation of the new reforms. And one of the key principles is that protecting society can be enhanced through deterrence of impaired driving whether it's alcohol or drug-impaired. Mr. Godet, excuse me for interrupting you, but in a case where you can't get uh, an ASD test, there are other provisions available to the police to detect those who have driven while impaired. Yes, Justice Cote, but that said, not all methods are equal. An ASD, in other words, an ASD is just is not just like the rest of the provisions. They're not all equally useful. It is, for example, recognized that there may be no correlation between s- uh, symptoms, other symptoms, between the smell of alcohol on a person's breath and their actual blood alcohol level, as revealed by a breathalyzer, for example. So a police officer can ask a person to blow in their face, uh, but that doesn't necessarily lead to a conviction. And the field sobriety tests, statistically speaking, In 2020, only 20% of police officers in Canada had the training to perform, to administer those tests. Now, I recognize, I acknowledge that in Quebec, almost 100% of police officers have been trained on the standardized field sobriety test, but it's not true across the country. So keeping that in mind, I would submit that the ASD is a better method. It's better than all the other methods at detecting impaired driving. Secondly, my second submission. Oh, wait, sorry, I skipped something. Madam Justice, you acknowledged this earlier. Under 320.27 sub 2, under the mandatory screening provisions, an officer can require a person to provide a sample without needing any grounds to suspect that the person has consumed alcohol. And in that case, Parliament used the terms in, uh, it requires the police officer to have a breathalyzer present in their possession. And that is not the case for the the impugned provision here in the case at bar my colleague justice uh, martin asked the crown counsel a question earlier about the wording uh, the parliament in making these reforms left the term forthwith er, or immediately in the provision and in order to make a proper analysis so why did parliament leave the wording unchanged Uh, instead of giving police officers a clear indication that immediately meant something else. Well, with all due respect, I don't believe that that is what Parliament did. In fact, Parliament is presumed to be aware of the case law and the state of the law in Canada, and Parliament saw fit to use the term immediate uh, recognizing that it allowed for some flexibility or from a broader interpretation and unlike the other provision where Parliament clearly required a police officer to have a breathalyzer in their possession I don't know why uh, there would be any there need for a change in the other provision so Both provisions have to be reconciled. My second position is that the Court of Appeals' decision would impose uh, an excessive burden on police. The Court of Appeals' interpretation would frustrate the goal of allowing police to detect impaired driving. And according to the Court of Appeal, each and every police officer or patroller should have an ASD or uh, drug screening equipment as part of their toolbox in order to ensure that they are always able to get a breath sample or, or or a saliva sample. Well, In order for police officers, what do you you make of the argument that it's up to the government to provide police with all the tools they need to enforce the law, appropriately? Well, that equipment is available, but when it comes to approved drug screening equipment, or ADSE, currently there are only some 300 such tools that have been purchased and deployed across the country, so that's not enough, obviously, for every police officer and patroller to have that equipment on hand at all times. Now, things are changing, and it's my submission that the police need to be given some time and Parliament needs to be, governments need to be given some time to adequately equip the police. given that the technology is constantly changing. well, at the risk of undermining a fundamental constitutional right, is that your position? Uh, No. It's a reality that has to be kept in mind when interpreting the term immediately. It's a practical matter. Uh, It has to be a flexible and broad interpretation that keeps in mind what the real situation is. Thirdly, the Court of Appeals determination would run counter to Parliament's uh, goal of deterring drivers from refusing to provide breath samples. Under the Court of Appeals decision, if a driver refuses to provide a breath or saliva sample and assumes that the police officer might not have a screening device, that driver would be guilty of nothing, of no crime. Uh, Mr. Godet, I would point out that your time is up, but I'll allow you to finish your sentence if there's something that you were wanting. No, actually, that was my last point, my last uh, argument. Thank you.
3: Good morning, Chief Justice, Justices. Ontario agrees substantially with the position of the appellant and the submissions of the Attorney General of Canada regarding the need for a flexible interpretation of the immediacy requirement in what is now section 320.27.1 of the Criminal Code. The immediacy requirement is contextual and requires flexibility if it's to achieve its objectives of deterring impaired driving and quickly removing impaired drivers from the road on the one hand and permitting clear drivers to continue on their way on the other. Ontario has intervened to suggest two modifications to the Ontario Court of Appeals' immediacy framework in Kwanzaa. And uh, if the court is interested, I may have also an, a way of explaining the existential uh, issue that uh, Justice Brown first raised. But I'll begin with uh, my f- uh, first two points. The first deals with the bifurcation of the immediacy analysis into two parts. That is whether the demand itself was made immediately upon the reasonable suspicion being formed and then whether the screening measure itself was carried out immediately. And then the second part deals with using the reasonable opportunity to to consult counsel as the metric by which the immediacy window is measured. Turning to the first, the bifurcation of the immediacy analysis into two distinct Parts, I think it's unlikely that the court in Kwanzaa actually intended that, uh, but that is often how its paragraph 46 is often interpreted. Uh, Ontario agrees that the ADC, ASD demand ought to be made promptly uh, upon the formation of the necessary suspicion, but it should be made clear that that requirement is not synonymous with having make, making the demand instantaneously upon the suspicion being formed. And then when determining whether the demand was made properly, all of the circumstances should be considered. Whether the motorist was detained or not. If the motorist isn't detained, there is no right to counsel. So there is no right to counsel that's suspended. If there is a detention, then what is the reason for the detention? Is it a Highway Traffic Act investigation? Are there some other offenses that are being investigated or not? Um, whether the delay is necessary to ensure an accurate result or whether there are safety concerns, for example, a location. You know, the 401 in Ontario, Highway 40 in Quebec, Um, you know, whether a device can be brought to the scene expeditiously or not, and whether the officer officer is also carrying out other road safety duties, such as securing a collision scene, uh, attending to injured parties, checking license ownership and insurance. Well, would a demand be made in that circumstance? I mean, if there's bodies lying all over the place that need to be attended to, perhaps the officer might defer the demand for for a short period of time. think so um but the argument is you smell alcohol on the driver's breath but you have all these other things to do you didn't make the demand you could have made it their man and then gone and done that it takes two seconds that's sort of the flavor of the argument that often gets made um, it, the demand could have been made or and often what happens too is the officer may say something like wait here i'll be right back then that becomes a detention. You ought to have told them why they're being held, or you have to give them the demand because you had the reasonable suspicion and the detention has arisen. So it's, th- it's that reason why we say the entire screening event should be considered under the forthwith or immediacy window rather than sort of parsing it out. It would be nice if Parliament said that. That might get me to the existential question, which. Um, I think I'm it's. I'm quivering with anticipation. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Quicker than anticipate. Um, <coughs> the refusal offense is part of a broader scheme, but it's very, very different from other elements and other offenses within the scheme itself.
0: The M- refusal. M- surely, uh, though, uh, to, Mr. Ch- to Justice Brown's comment,
1: uh, exigent circumstances, I think it's been recognized, can uh, countenance a, a delay even of a fundamental right to the right to counsel because. Obviously,
0: uh, if there are circumstances of personal safety that justifies, without even a breach of section 10B, 10b, so isn't that qualitatively different uh, than a circumstance where it's simply not available uh, for reasons of there not being enough devices, or it's it's in uh, it's at the detachment or elsewhere on the highway? That's that seems to me to be quite a different consideration. And you sort of slipped in the consideration of being reasonably available into the other considerations, which seem to me to be qualitatively different?
3: It, it depends on the reasons why it's not available. If a dispatcher receives a 911 call because a concerned citizens reporting an impaired driver, the nearest police officer is going to respond to that and try to intercept that driver immediately. That driver may not have an ASD. They could be a homicide detective on their way to work. They could be somebody on desk duty but they're driving a cruiser, and they can pull that person over. <coughs> and they get there. They're a police officer. They have the reasonable suspicion. They have to make the demand right away. They don't have the ASD with them. Mr. So Parangio,
1: your, your time is up, but given the number of questions put to you, maybe
3: I can I give you a <laughs> one minute more. I can One minute. I appreciate that very much. Um, I think there's two forthwiths that we're talking about in 254.2. There's the statutory one which is there to impose on the motorist an obligation to comply as soon as, as forthwith so that the, act, the motorist can't delay indefinitely. And motorist who cannot comply through no fault of their own commits no offense. The other forthwith requirement, which is certainly informed by the statutory one that parliament has used is a creation of this court, that forthwith requirement is the one that imposes obligations on the police, and it's the, to balance the suspension of the right to counsel with all of the reasons why the salutary effects of screening drivers uh, at the roadside. That's the fourth width that we're talking about here, and I think it may be you know, a mistake to link the two so inexor- inexorably. Such to any questions you have? Any other questions? Those are my submissions. Thank you
1: very much. Thank you. Alors la cour va prendre la pause du matin.
0: The Court will be taking its 15-minute break. Please be seated.
1: Maître Félix-Antoine
0: uh, Antoine doyon Mr. Thank you, Chief Justice. First of all, I would like to come back uh, to uh, the substance from 1988. I think that we have to go back to the substance of these cases going to go forward. Fundamentally, it was decided in our democratic and free society that uh, drinking and driving is a scourge of our society. Now, when, we're, when it comes to 8, 9 and 10 of the Charter, they cannot be overridden unless the offences are uh, grave. And by introducing the word immediately or forthwith, this was fundamental. So the compromise between the, uh, between the balance of the interests at stake are based on the idea of the offence of 8, 9 and 10. It needs to be of a very short duration. That is the basic rule. Uh, Justice Cote asked a question earlier of uh, my Honourable Friend and Mr. Abrin, and what I understood was, uh, are you asking us to change the basic rule to say that uh, this uh, uh, delay is reasonable or necessary? But I do not think that, uh, on behalf of our society of rule of law, we need to change this basic rule on the contrary. The flexibility that Justice Sapinka refers to in Burnshaw is, well, it's extremely important to come back to the basis of his decision to come back to what Justice Martin said the wording of the law itself says that we must have the that there must be a suitable analysis so obviously it's consistent legislatively speaking to interpret immediately or forthwith to ensure that the test is reliable and there is another imperative that Justice Simpinka uh, reconciled constitutionally is, well, what do we do with Section 8 of the Charter? Which, as we know, provides the, for no arbitrary search or seizure and no arbitrary sampling. And it is also based on this uh, fundamental that Justice Sumpinka agreed to extend the delay to 15 minutes to ensure uh, solid evidence. So, did Justice Sopinka extend the delay to 15 minutes for administrative convenience? Obviously not. Did Justice Sopinka extend the delay uh, just for fun? Of course not. The very basis of 15 minutes is based on nothing less than a constitutional consideration. Now, we must keep that in mind or, and you must keep it in mind, when you're going to define the word immediately or forthwith. Ten years later in Woods, Justice Fish conceptualized very clearly the situation described in Burnshaw by describing the 15-minute test or rather the delay of 15 minutes as being an unusual circumstance. And legally speaking, I believe that uh, case law is very clear. The Supreme Court has never changed the definition, definition of the word immediately. There is, I'm going to repeat, concerning Woods, it was conceptualized that the situation was an unusual circumstance. Justice Fish never changed the definition of the term immediately. We're talking about a compromise or a balance. That goes back to 1988 with Justice Ledin. A balance needs to be struck between the interests at stake. And uh, I'm going to summarize what I have understood from the Appellant. You're being told Please give us a delay, give us some time, theoretical, I would add, while waiting for the approved screening device to be delivered. Or, if we listen, look at the evidence in pro because the police officer forgot to bring the device with him before his shift. So, let's look at the basis as to why a delay is being requested, it appears to me and I'm going to come back to what, uh, uh, you, what you said, Chief Justice, about being a democratic superpower, to allow such a delay for an administrative convenience is based on no commendable or legal uh, fundament, uh, f- uh, basis. That's not what I think Canadian democracy is. Now in Piazza, uh, Judge uh, Douyin, also reiterated the fact that administrative convenience is not, does not justify the violation of civil civil liberties, and that's not new. That is current case law in the, uh, from the Supreme Court. I'm sorry for interrupting you, Mr. Doyon. How do you reconcile the interpretation of uh, the term immediately by the Appeal Court? as meaning to that uh, device must be in the police officer's possession when the order is issued whereas that requirement whereas 2542b was reproduced in 32027 uh, to the same effect uh, but in three twenty twenty seven two of the criminal code, the g- legislator said that in the case of random screening, the police officer must have the device in his possession. So, if the legislator uh, foresaw that in the case of random screening, but didn't in the other case, how do you reconcile those two interpretations of, uh, by the court of appeal? Well, there was an answer from the appellant that. That uh, case law was applicable, and I can't remember whether Piazza was applicable in 2018. I think so. In fact, I'm going to check. Uh, June 8, 2018, the amendments uh, date from December 2018. But unusual circumstances uh, can can they accommodate accommodate a uh, delay linked to Urgency? Okay. Uh, uh, Justice uh, Jamal referred earlier, I believe, if I understood correctly, to, for example, if we uh, disregard uh, drinking and driving conditions, well, in what, under what conditions uh, should the right to counsel be suspended? And I'm thinking of one of the paragraphs of, uh, from El Shambo from 2012. The Chief Justice said that uh, a right to counsel can be suspended for matters of safety, uh, either that of uh, police officers or of the public or of both. Or the accused as well. Yes, correct. Obviously, the general public includes the accused. So, in my opinion, The reasonable foreseeable case in all cases where uh, rather it's the accident and safety constitutionally speaking we have an answer. For many years it was decided that the right to counsel could be suspended for reasons of safety so if uh, the delay is extended because for a matter of safety I'm going to come back to uh, what Mr. Justice Brown said about an emergency. Well then, what's the basis for this suspension? The Court has said that it could be suspended for matters of safety, for reasons of safety. Of course that's true. So there was a comment made as well, I believe by Justice Kazarer earlier. To my colleague, he said, don't you think uh, you're not being subtle with regard to what uh, Judge Doyon said. I have to agree with you, Justice. Judge Doyen was not interpreting the immediacy requirement restrictively or dogmatically by excluding any other delay uh, so that the order automatically becomes invalid. That's not what I understood from Judge Doyen's ruling. So I think constitutionally speaking... This issue is being complied with completely in the case where there is a delay that is created by an emergency or for matters of safety. So should the test be changed? Of course not. In general, in the case law, we talk about unusual circumstances or exceptional circumstances in a matter of drink and drive driving. We could talk about unusual circumstances referring to Justice Fish, and yet the applicable test does not change. I'm going to talk about these unusual circumstances because in my opinion it is essential not to interpret to the emergency requirement as requirement as being dogmatic. Question: The link between the brief delay that you refer to and the mandatory possession of the device is this necessary, especially since the idea of possession is not at all mentioned in the wording of the provision that concerns us, because the public is going to wonder why, how can it be there is a driver who is drunk, who lies to the police officer. The police officer asks for the device to be considered. Uh, let's just imagine a theoretical case. You're on, the, you're on Highway 40 and you know which, where, which exits where police are waiting. So one is 40 East and the other is 40 West, for example. And both of them are supervising motorists who who go by. So they're side by side in two police cars. In one of the police cars, there's a device. In the other one, there's not. But both of the police officers know that his or her colleague has the device in his or her car. So the vehicle that does not have the device sees the motorist, has a reasonable uh, motives for suspicion, for perhaps uh, the uh, driver is weaving, and so the police officer intercepts the driver, but the device is in the other car. Is that a brief delay? And maybe it's 150 metres away. Is that a brief delay? In other words, in your measure, can you disregard the possession in that case? Excellent question. But I think that in the case you are referring to is that uh, the police officers have foreseen such a possibility. For example, if we know in advance that it's a police operation and that uh, the delay is going to be less than one minute because we know full well that physically uh, drivers will be able to be intercepted practically at the same time, or as soon as the police officer intercepts the motorist, uh, he will ask for identification. Now if it is known in advance that the device is on site, then in a very, very brief delay uh, the police officer can uh, have access to it, then I think that that does uh, respect uh, the requirements. Yes, but careful, you're not following the principles established by the Appeal Court And it would appear to be a slippery slope that you're going down here because, you know, it's close. It's going to take one minute. It's easily accessible. But then if you look at the appeal courts in Canada, one minute is fine, three minutes is not fine. So you see that the advantage of the Court of Appeals position is that they have ruled, they have decided. I agree with you now. The idea... I, I don't want you to have the impression that Bro is asking you to interpret restrictively and dogmatically the notion of immediacy, because there are so many circumstances that could occur in the different cases. But in my mind, the rem- remedy lies in the unusual circumstances. Of course, there will be circumstances where. Uh, police officers might wonder whether they were in an unusual circumstance. And I was trying to figure while you were telling me about your case, I was wondering, is that an unusual circumstance? Well, if we go with what uh, Judge Judge Doyen did, well, it's uh, fine. It might be an instructive position. Yes, but isn't that the same argument? where the uh, exceptional or unusual circumstances must be linked to the use of the device. And therefore, independently of uh, the example of my colleague, Justice Kasserer, as the Court of Appeals seems to have uh, written, these circumstances will be taken into account, the circumstances that uh, allow a delay, insofar as the device is used or not used properly. Could you please repeat that? I apologize. Don't we have to consider unusual circumstances that might allow for a certain delay only in a situation where the device cannot be operated properly? Where the results sought cannot be obtained? Well, that's tantamount to, to what I said at the beginning about Woods. If uh, Justice Fish conceptualizes Burnshaw as being an unusual circumstance, so I think uh, the response to your question is in 443 of Woods. I come back to my question, 254.2. I think you had something to add in that regard. was reproduced in the amendments of December 2018 with no change, but in the amendments of December 2018, uh, 3.20.27.2 was added, and it provides for when there is random screening, the police officer must uh, have in his or her possession an an ADS, an ASD rather. So in one of the subparagraphs, the legislator says, to that police officers must have a device for random screening but at the same time the legislator does not spell out in 320271b that the police officer must be in possession of the device so how do you reconcile the court of appeals interpretation of uh, the term immediately How do you reconcile that with the amendments, these subsequent amendments? The legislator is not supposed to speak uh, just for speaking's sake. So, might we think uh, that the legislator did not uh, want to wish to require that the police officer have the uh, device in his or her possession? Uh, You talked about Section 45 earlier. This repeal does not uh, uh, mean Uh, that the text uh, was in force, that the Parliament considers as such, and there is also a principle of interpretation cited uh, by my colleague, uh, Mr. Marcoux, in his brief, which I find quite convincing. That is, that when there are two different uh, interpretations that can be given to a provision, the one that is constitutional should prevail. And I think here, Uh, For us, it's clear, in fact, that the interpretation that we suggest to you, that uh, Judge Doyle used in Bro, is the one that is constitutional. Whereas a necessary and reasonable test does not satisfy the constitutional standard. And I come back to this compromise again, the balance that you are being asked to strike by the appellant. Please give us a delay for administrative convenience. So, if we want to balance the interests at stake, what has to be done? Well, constitutionally speaking, let's uh, talk about right to counsel. I don't think that is, the, uh, that is the direction that the Court wishes to take, because, in my opinion, that would be uh, uh, reducing things to their lowest common denominator. I'm thinking of paragraph 112 of Piazza. The judge said, well, it's a false problem Uh, to refer to the right to counsel when we're talking about uh, summary detection. The real problem is not uh, spelled out in Piazza, but I would say that the problem is that when the police officers do not have access to their work methods or their work tools, or I might add, if." there is no access to the work methods or work tools then only 21% of uh, the only 21% of police officers are trained to do physical coordination tests and there's a problem and uh, that's not the direction that this court took uh, in case law it is spelled out that police officers police uh, authorities must look after the training of their officers. May I ask a question, uh, Mr. Doyon? To follow up on the question put by my colleague, Justice Kasserer, perhaps the question of possession is not a legal question because there are laws that exist, and in our context, perhaps possession, possession is a practical or a factual question. It's not an element of the offense as to whether the device has to be in the police officer's possession. Perhaps that is sufficient to satisfy the obligation of immediacy, but it's not necessarily required. Perhaps it's sufficient in a practical sense, but it's not necessary. It's not a question that is linked to the legislator's wording. So perhaps it's practical versus legal? I agree. I couldn't have put it better.
2: Before I forget, the Attorney General of Canada, or Ontario, said that the Court of Appeal would deter people or discourage people from giving a breath sample. In other words, it would run counter to the, ob- the, the objective of deterrence. I have a bit of a problem with that argument, and I'll explain why. The idea of immediacy is basically a procedural guarantee in a rule of law country. It's a constitutional guarantee. In a rule of law country, procedural guarantees, the purpose of them is to avoid capriciousness or arbitrariness. In other words, they're arguing that because there's an assumption, a presumption of innocence, and there are legal guarantees in the Charter. But because we have a presumption of innocence and right to counsel, because we have Sections 8, 9, and 10 of the Charter, and yet, if people are encouraged to commit offences that goes against our ideal of a crime-free society, I think this all runs counter to our ideas of a free and democratic society. Because we have to remember, Yes, of course, you have to catch people and deter people from driving drunk because it runs counter to public safety, but the respect for civil liberties also provides for public safety. So I think the argument is a bit short-sighted, and I respectfully submit that my opinion is quite to the opposite. Chief Justice, uh, at the outset, you mentioned... Let me look at my notes here for a second. The law has to apply equally and fairly all across the country. No one would disagree with that, with that statement. Justice Cote also said, well, what about in rural areas? Well, the way I interpret your remarks, is like Justice Corey in Burnshaw said at Paragraph 35. It's a dissenting opinion, but I like to think we would all agree we need to standardize as much as possible or make uniform this immediacy criterion. Is uh, it not simpler for the individual to standardize or make the criterion uniform across the country? Is this not better for police officers as well in enforcing the law to have a standard, uniform approach to this immediacy criterion? And at paragraph 45 of the appellant's Factum, they say, the police, the police officer said, look, we called off the ASD because we wanted to avoid an accident. Obviously, And, as I argued at trial, it's impossible, on the one hand, to task the police with detecting drunk driving, but at the same time saying, telling them, do it as quickly as possible in the name of civil liberties. Who's the one that has to reconcile those two imperatives? The police officers themselves. So they call on the radio, they call on a colleague to quickly deliver an ASD seems to me that that's inconsistent, it's illogical. Why not simply equip all officers with ASDs? Or at least train all officers on field sobriety tests so that they always have the tools they need to do their job. Wouldn't it be simpler for the courts too? one of the purposes of this legislation is to rationalize and simplify the measures applying to impaired driving. And Justice Moldaver, in his decision, said that this must be done in the name of the appropriate use of judicial resources, and this is a fundamental issue because the resources of the courts are limited, particularly in Quebec. So a uniform interpretation would make everybody's work easier. I believe so, and so that's fundamentally what is called for here, is to rationalize and simplify the provisions governing impaired driving. And so there's no reason not to interpret immediately other than the way Justice Doyon did. I'm almost finished. You gave me one hour. Well, I'd just like to be sure that I understood you correctly. Would you agree that exceptional circumstances do allow for a short delay. And if I could put it this way, if it stems from the validity of the test and not budgetary or administrative constraints. Yes, I agree with that. And before I forget, there are two things that my friend, uh, Mr. Abran, said that are not actually in the evidence. That is that, in general, patrol cars are equipped with ASDs, there's no evidence to that effect. And secondly, he said that it generally takes 10 minutes to deliver an ASD, there's no evidence to that effect. Uh, in the case at Bar, so that's not part of the evidence and we need to be careful with that type of remark. And I'd like to mention, this is something I left out of my factum, I didn't argue at the Court of Appeal this point, but given the existential question raised by Justice Brown, how can you ask someone to blow into a device that's not even there? how can then they then be accused of a criminal offense when on the facts it was an imp- impossible demand there, there was no device to blow into well mr bro refused immediately to provide a breath sample he didn't know there was no device present and he didn't know why there wasn't one there either He didn't know how long he'd have to wait for a device to arrive. He quite simply refused. He had no intention of complying with the Order. Maybe it makes no difference in the case at Bar, but you're raising legal issues that we can decide. But at the end of the day, What difference does it make to this decision to convict or not convict Mr. Bro? Well, to come back to the expression of Justice Doyon, if the idea is to broaden the criminal responsibility, well, that can be done. But I don't think that's what the courts... Uh, have instructed us, and the Supreme Court have instructed us. I think it was in the shock decision in the 80s, so it's, it's nothing new. Mention was made earlier of transparency. Justice Brown, you yourself, suggested that there might be a problem of transparency here in a situation where the accused or the suspect is put in a situation where we're going to ask you to give a sample, but why not tell the person that, well, the order might become invalid because we've asked for the device to be delivered and it may or may not arrive in 10 or 15 minutes. The evidence on the, in this case was 10 to 15 minutes, not just 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, okay. I think you mentioned paragraph 61 of Justice Doyle's decision. How can anyone disagree with that? The idea is to rationalize the system, but this would be an example, a classic example, of uh, the opposite, quite the opposite. Thank you very much. Thank you. Marie-Pierre Boulet. Chief Justice, Justices, good morning. I'm going to refer to my organization as LACAD, which is the Quebec Defence Bar. So I'd like to talk about our practical experience in these situations in connection with the case uh, at bar. There's the whole issue of suspending the right to counsel, and that's what we're particularly concerned about. And I'd like to repeat what the Appellant said and what Justice Brown said a bit earlier about transparency, or the fact that the individual should be informed of the full facts of the situation. So there's a notion of transparency here and an idea of informing the individual about the grounds for their detention and their right to counsel. I thought it was very inspiring what my friend Mr. Abram said. The Appellant said in their condensed book, they talked about the Torsny decision at Tab 11, which distinguishes between the exercise of the right to counsel and contact with uh, the opportunity to call counsel. That's the Tor- Torsney case. And a delay as short as four minutes, I think in practical terms as a lawyer, four minutes would be enough to adequately inform a person that they are required to comply with a valid order. So it would take no more than four minutes to actually exercise the right to counsel. But Justice, uh, rather, counsel for the respondent said that, uh, in this case, the order was invalid at any rate. And I'd like to raise another point, and that is the vulnerability of the person detained, because their right to counsel is suspended, and it was recently held by the Court of Appeal of Quebec in the Freddie decision. And it's in my condensed book at tab one, paragraph 28 specifically. It talks about the criteria for exercising the right to counsel and it talks about the vulnerability of the detained individual. So I think it's important for us to be able to, for for a person to be able to consult their lawyer and Obviously, our counsel would be that a person has to comply, should comply with a valid order. So the exercise of the right to counsel could largely do away with the commission of the offense because counsel would always advise the individual to comply with the order, a valid order. And so, allowing for that would do away with many of the, the, these cases, many of these problems. The Ontario uh, Attorney General suggested that we completely n- pay no attention to the issue of, uh, the practical issue of being able to consult counsel, and we think that would be reopening a constitutional debate, which is really not what this case is all about. Practical experience, once again, of defence lawyers, and that was the purpose of our intervention, in this case, is that uh, we are, in fact, able to give prompt advice, even roadside advice, to drivers. We can intervene quickly and thereby allow drivers to exercise their right to counsel. So, and they should be allowed to do that when it's doable. And that's practical experience, and that's the Court of Appeals' decision in this case and in many other cases. In concrete terms, we do have, we have duty counsel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, individuals can contact a lawyer. And they're not supposed to, we say, like, uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse, so they should have access to their lawyers. So the solution, in the context of this case, the legislative interpretation should allow for, it should be the strictest possible interpretation of immediacy, because the, uh, as soon as a person's right to consult counsel is interfered with, that becomes a central issue to the case. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Jean-Philippe Marcoux. Chief Justice, Justices, good morning. It's an honour to be here this morning in Quebec City. Uh, We appreciate your being here. My intent is not to repeat what my friends have already said, but I'd like to put the focus on the individual who's not a lawyer, who's been stopped roadside by a police officer and ordered to get out of their car, to walk and to give a breath sample, and when you see the term immediately, it's a term that people immediately understand. It's an easy term to understand. And whether it's—they're told by the police officer uh, to provide a breath sample, they don't know whether the police officer's order is valid or invalid. Uh, The Parliament's purpose here was to make things clear and simple with Bill C-46. i.e., the purpose was to modernize the legislation and make it clearer. And I think among Parliament's multiple intentions, that was part of it. And when you look at the current legislation and you compare it to the previous version, and you'll see this at tab two of my condensed book, Parliament intervened to change the term forthwith in English to immediately. So a change was made a change to make the legislation consistent with the case law of this Court in Woods and Burnshaw and Woods and Thompson. So the idea of Parliament was to simplify the legislation and make it consistent with the state of the law, the state of the case law. So to say that nothing changed, no, that's not true. We have to pay close attention to terms that change, but that doesn't really change the state of the law. It just confirms it for the benefit of individuals and for the police. A term as simple as immediately should be interpreted in the same way across the board. Now, there are exceptional circumstances and the case law allows for that to ensure that the result is reliable, that there's a proper analysis. So, the idea was to crystallize the reasonable and probable grounds so that police officers can proceed with their work. In Burnshaw and the subsequent case law, the interpretation of immediately was to include exceptional circumstances allowing for a reliable result, but not to allow for illegal detention. Uh, There's the residual mouth alcohol effect, for example, if a person quickly drinks uh, alcohol roadside after they've been stopped, that creates a false result. So the only, the, the, the allowance was made for achieving a reliable result, but those are the only kind of exceptional circumstances that the law recognizes or allows for. It's all about allowing for a reliable result from the test. Why open the door wider to other circumstances? No, the idea is just to make sure that the law is clear and that it's easy for police to enforce and that it's easy for individuals, for the public to understand what's expected of them. Because if you refuse to comply with an order that has very serious and immediate legal consequences for the driver. They lose their driver's license immediately, their vehicle can be seized uh, and impounded. So this has to be clear for everyone. And if a police officer can't meet the immediacy requirement, there are all kinds of other options open to the officer. There's the standardized field sobriety tests. That's part of their training. Some officers aren't trained for that, but they should be, so that they have the tools they need And even if they're not trained, there's other methods of investigation that the common law recognizes. And I mentioned those in my factum. They can ask the driver questions, they can ask passengers questions. There's a whole host of things police officers can do in order to convert their subjective grounds or suspicions into objective grounds. They can ask the driver to get out of the car, to blow in the officer's face and so on. These are all recognized in the common law. And 320.272, to answer your question, Justice Coté, about this new provision, it's new law, it hasn't been tested yet uh, in court, but I would submit that the term immediately appears in that section, too. The term immediately appears in all of these provisions. And the only difference is that they, it, it, all Parliament decided to do with these two different provisions is to turn reasonable grounds into uh, automatic possession of an
0: ASD. That's all, quite simply. Thank
3: you.
0: If the question has no further questions, there will be no reply. Ah, yes, there's a question. I'd like to come back to the first argument of uh, Mr. Marcoux. Allow me to tell me to tell you what makes me a bit uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with the commission of a crime where the individual does not know that there is no device present and it's as if, if the state or the government is benefiting from the ignorance of the individual in question who does not know that uh, the device is present answer if that can re- if i can reassure you and that's what happened in the case at bar the police officers still informed Mr. Poe that his refusal to comply was a criminal offence. And so the the police officer said, if you do not provide a breath sample, you will be criminally charged. So, uh, the person was informed and knew uh, that his refusal to comply was a crime. Now, I understand the other arguments, but it's not an essential element of the offence. For example, uh, the uh, for example, if the person who decides to provide a breath sample doesn't know if they will pass or fail, so we're simply saying that this is not an essential element of the offence because the person has been informed that his refusal to comply was a crime. Now that being said, if you as a court, consider that the order is not valid without the possession of an approved screening device, as we said in our brief at the very end, then there is nothing that we can do. But if you deem that there is a delay because of the uh, responsible to responsibility to inform the individual, then uh, that uh, will uh, be relevant to this case at BAR. Thank you Mr. Abraham. So I would like to thank uh, all the Council for their arguments. The Court will take this matter under advisement and uh, a subsequent decision will follow. Thank you and have a nice day.